strengthening us, God, for your word says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. These are the words of God, from God, by God. And I thank you that no word comes back to you void. We're learning how to be servants, God. And Father, we just don't want to be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So that's what I see, God. I see a congregation who isn't just hearers of the word, but doers as well. I see a congregation who comes to church to learn how to serve you better, and then they put it into practice, God. I see a church that makes a difference in the community. I see a church that is eager to serve you, Lord, because they are the bride of Christ, and they recognize that you are the head, but we are the body. So the arms and the feet and the legs and the hands, they must move, but we must do the work of the one who sent us while it is still day, because when night comes, no man can work. May your anointing be upon your servant, God, and may your anointing be upon your sheep. I'm here to feed them because I love you, God. And my expectation is that I'm either going to plant or water, but it is you who will give the increase. That's your category. That's your lane. I'll stay in mine. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we continue in a series called A Servant's Servant. Last week I began telling you about what a servant's life looks like. A life of love, identity, faith, and eternal purpose. Matthew 20, 25 through 27 says this, But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Church, can you say servant? And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, servant is an action word. Yes, it's a noun. It describes uh, someone. But we must also recognize that to be a servant means that you actually serve. You actually serve the purpose in which God has sent you to serve. And last week we began talking about how a servant must know God. You must have an intimate relationship with him. You must understand that he knows you by name and he wants you to know him by his name. We talked about how a servant must love God and understand that he is loved by God and that we have to love God back. We have to love our new self in Christ. And then finally, we have to love others as well. But one thing I added to the beginning of uh, last week's message was this, a servant also pleases the Father. Holy Spirit, as we begin into your word, I pray that this would not just be a religious ceremony for us, God, that we would just not be sitting here because it's Sunday morning and this is what you're supposed to do. But we're here because we have brought our spirit man here that it might be influence our soul and have mastery over our body. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that these words come alive. This is your word. And may it come alive in the hearing of your people's ears. In Jesus' name, amen. So a servant pleases the Father. We have to live to please God. 
It's not all about you. It's not all about having your way. At some point, when, you, when you're born again, you need to understand that your life is over and you, a new life has begun in Christ. And now you don't live to please yourself anymore. You live to please the Father. One of the greatest tragedies of uh, the Christian, the so-called Christian life is this, that many people, they just add God to their life. The life they're already living, they just add God as an accessory, as a genie in the bottle to say, God, when I need you, I'll rub the bottle in prayer and I expect you to show up and bless me instead of saying, you know what? No, my life is over. I don't serve me anymore. I live to please the Father because you do know that this life is temporary and that we'll stand in front of an eternal God and be judged. You do know that you must know Jesus Christ as your Savior in order to inherit the promised land. So it's not just about this life. This life is passing away. Everything that we see is passing away. I watched a video yesterday on YouTube. Uh, it, it was called Lima Before, uh, Before and, and Now. And it showed me, you know, where the huddle used to be is where Subway is now. And on South Main Street, it's a, it's a motorcycle club right now, right before the train tracks. That long building with the overhead parking on South Main Street this way used to be an ice cream shop. Like, everything is deteriorating all around us because things are perishing in this world. Even these bodies are dying. But on the inside, there should be a man who's made strong day by day. Amen? So we've got to learn how to get out of our own way. Too many of us, we live body, soul, spirit instead of spirit, soul, body. It's got to start at the top. We've got to understand that the body must be last because if the body is first, we'll go about pleasing our own selfish desires from a soulless realm, and then the spirit will not be enlightened. I've got to tell you this, that if you're born again, you have a new spirit living on the inside of you from God, and that spirit is supposed to have mastery over the soul. Too many of us, the body controls us. It controls our, 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 our stomach appetite. It controls our lustful appetite, and until you begin to say, God, I want to live spirit, soul, body, I want the new creation, the new me to be in control, then we will go astray because there's a way that seems right to people, but in the end, there is only destruction there. So we've got to come into alignment. So we need to learn how to live a life that pleases the Father. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Say this with me. I must... Give my body to God. Because if you control your body, then you will be a slave to sinful appetites. So you got to say, you know what? No, God, you can have my body. It's a sacrifice to you, okay? Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Say this with me. My body is a living and holy sacrifice. And it's only that when you've given it to God. 
If you still control your body, then you'll still be mastered and controlled by sin. Your body must belong to God, okay? Verse, let's continue this. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable, all right? I want to be found acceptable by God. I want you to be found acceptable by God. And the only way that happens is if you give your body to God and say, this body is not for sin anymore. This body is not for pleasure anymore. This body is a servant of God. So I have a new spirit that that is made after the image of Jesus Christ. My mind, my will, and my emotions are all influenced by my spirit, and this body serves me now. I don't serve the body. The body serves me now. Verse 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if some of you continue to live in lifestyles of sin, these cycles of sin, right? Constant, constant uh, battles with lust, constant battles with lying, constant battles with addiction, then the Bible says this. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God, permit God, allow God to transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. You cannot repeat, you cannot have new life cycles without having a new mindset. It all starts here. Do not take a new mind, an old mindset into a new place, or that new place will look just like the old place. Man, that was good. I'm going to say it again. Do not take an old mindset into a new place or the new place will begin to look like the old place. Do you understand that? That's why, that's why there can be a pattern of relationship failures. That's why you can have a savings account that seems to be building up, but before you know it, it's gone. That's why you can pay the credit cards down, but before you know it, they're back up again. Why? Because the, 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 a new season came, you went into a new place, but you still have the old mindset. So the Bible says that let, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Say this with me, church. Lord, transform me into a new person by changing the way I think. Come on. You've you got to have that. Uh, You've got to have that capability in your life to say, you know what? I'm seeing some old patterns. Come on, church, let's keep it real. I'm seeing some old patterns in my life keep resurfacing, and I don't want to see them anymore. So God, if I want to maintain the new place that you take me, then I need to have a new mindset. Romans 8, let's go there. Well, first of all, let's finish this this, uh, passage. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, and pleasing and perfect. So God has a a will for every single one of you that is good and pleasing and perfect, but you can't have it or operate it or walk in it until you say, God, I want to be a new person, but you have to change the way I think. If any of you are on the brink of anything new, you've got to pray this prayer. You've got to say, God, 
Change me into a new person by changing the way I think. Some of you think about yourselves wrong, and that's why your life looks wrong, because you're looking at yourself wrong. You're thinking about what someone else told you that you were. You're thinking about past failures that you've encountered. You're thinking about past pain. You are, sometimes you are being fueled by lust. You're being fueled by what you want instead of what God wants for you, and you see that that quickly shatters and crumbles as well, because we must live to please God. He's got, he has a will for us that is good and pleasing and perfect. But the only way you get it is if you say, God, I give you my body. I give you my life. I want what's best for me, right? So many people, they write their life plan and they say, here, God, sign this. It's like, no, that's not my will for you. That's not my will for you. And sometimes God will let you have that thing just to show you, God, I was wrong. Any, anyone here can raise their hand and say, God, I've been wrong about something I prayed for, something I wanted, something I desired. Let's go on to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 14. We're talking about how a servant is supposed to live to please the Father. Father, please rescue us from these mindsets because we've been, we've been taught this, this religious mindset that says that we have a relationship with God so that he can please us that we can pray to him all of our desires, all of our wants, all of our needs, and they supersede what he wants for us, and that's not true at all. Help us to humble ourselves, Lord, and say, Lord, I only want your will, even if it hurts to give up mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was a son that pleased the Father. And we see him in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, thinking about what he had to do upon the cross, pouring out his life there. And yet for a moment, he said, Lord, if there be father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass. But then he remembered that, you know what, I'm here to please the father. And he said, you know what, nevertheless. Not my will be done, but let thine will be done. Church, if you want to see the best and the blessed possible life that you can have, you've got to say this, not my will, Father, but let your will be done. You see, I thought I was going to be living in Columbus, and I thought I would graduate from Ohio Northern, and I thought I would be this, and I thought I would be that. But I had to say, you know what, nevertheless, not my will but let thine will be done. Amen? Let's keep going here. Romans 8, 5 through 14 says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. So that's why I, I, I tell you, and Paul begged us all to give our bodies to God. Why? Because if not, we're going to be dominated by the sinful nature because this realm belongs to the devil, the little G God of this world. So he's saying those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about the sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Did you see that? Did you hear that? So if you want to please God, then you must be controlled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has a very important job on this earth, and he is the one that leads us into truth and righteousness. So if we do not have the Holy Spirit or if we do not uh, find ourselves being obedient to the Holy Spirit, we cannot please God. It says those who are controlled. Church, can you say controlled? controlled. 
Man, see, 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 you are not just church people. You're not just people who attend church. You are born again believers in Jesus Christ who serve him. And the Bible says that you are supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just, it's not just led, it's controlled. It's Holy Spirit what do you desire that I do? What do you de- where do you desire that I go? It's all about you because if we allow the Holy Spirit to, com- to control us, then we will please the Father. Verse 6 says this, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. Now let's skip down to Romans chapter 14, verses 16 through 18. And it says this, Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So to please God is to live a life that has acquired righteousness, which means right standing with God. It means that your sins are forgiven. He doesn't see you as a sinner anymore. It means obtaining peace because if you have righteousness with God, you also have peace with God because now you're a child of God and the wrath of God is not going to come upon you. That's good news right there. You will not receive the wrath of God because you have peace with God. And because you have his righteousness and his peace, you can also have his joy. But what does it mean to displease God? It means to give all of that up. To displease God is to receive the opposite of the kingdom. So if we're going to be found unrighteous, then that means that we will, we will, we will be the objects of his wrath, and we will, instead of having joy, have sorrow. Let's listen to this in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 43. Now, this is the end times. The end times started a long time ago. We're living in the end times. Do you you see the signs of the end times here? Earthquakes in, 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 in diverse places. Men love themselves more than they love God. That there are, abortion is legal and has been for a while. They're trying to allow children to have surgeries without their parents' consent to change genders. Like this world is definitely in the end time. So church, we need to be awake and ready and understand that. Now listen to what he said in Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 through 43. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear should hear, should listen and understand. God gave me a dream a few nights ago. I was uh, in my garage during the dream, and I looked at my phone that was plugged in, and the clock on the phone said 1214. And then the dream, I went back into my bedroom and laid down. I just thought it was odd, like I felt like I had been sleeping for a long, a way longer period than that. And then just as I got comfortable uh, in the dream and said, okay, it must not be, tw- it must not be uh, as late as I thought it was. It must only be 1214. My alarm went off in real life and woke me up. 
And I was so startled by that because I thought I had more time. Church, say this with me. He thought he had more time. And I said, God, what was that dream all about? I said, why was the clock in the garage? And he said, because people are looking at the wrong clock. They don't know what time it is. They don't know how soon I really am to come. And church, we've got to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. We have to live like it could happen at any moment. Put our foolishness aside. Put sin aside. Forgive who you need to forgive and get yourselves ready to go and meet the king. So whether or not he comes soon or we go soon, we need to live lives that are ready to see his face. Revelation 16, 15 says this, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake with his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Father, I pray for this church right now in Jesus' name that you would awaken our eyes to see that we can't look at the world's clock and we can't even look at our clock thinking that there's time for this, there's time for that, or I'll get saved next year or I'm just not ready. God, please awaken us from our slumber and our sleep to know that, Lord, that you are soon to come or we may be soon to go. Father, in Jesus' name, may truth come upon us now to know the lateness of our own hour, that we might be ready. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's keep on going from last week. We're going to talk about a servant must know their identity. So you have to know who you are in Christ. You have to know your value. You have to know that you can't just settle for less. You can't allow the enemy to beat you down as a child of God, that there's certain armor you must wear. Was that a dream? Yes. Had another dream uh, the the other night that I was at uh, the the gym working out, and I had a a belt. One of of my belts was on the stair stepper, which I do not touch because that will tear you up. I probably need to get on it, but no stair stepping for me. All right. And so it was on the stair stepper and I was on the treadmill and a guy came up to me and said, hey, are you using this machine? And I said, no, I'm not using this machine. Let me take my belt off of it. And then I woke up and I was like, God, what was that all about? And, and if you don't understand, well, let me tell you this. Usually, if you remember a dream and great clarity, it may have been from God. So you need to pray and say, God, what did that dream mean? Like, what was that about, okay? And he said, he said, you're not wearing the belt of truth. And I was like, wow. Because what's been happening to me is I've been discouraged. I've been depressed by some of the things that I see. Right, And he said, you don't have your belt of truth on. And without the belt of truth, none of the other armor fits right, okay? And uh, I got to the gym the very next, that morning, I woke up from that dream and I went to the gym and I walked into the locker room to the bench that I put my stuff on every time I go and there was a belt sitting there. There was an actual belt on my bench as confirmation that that I did not miss it, that God was telling me I need to put on my belt of truth. And as I was working out, here's what he spoke to me. And he cured me of my discouragement and my depression with just one word because his words are life and they are truth. He said this to me. He said, Damien, why are you focused more on what you see than what you want to see? And I was like, My faith is off. 
Like, I haven't been looking at life through the lens of faith. I haven't been looking at the church through the lens of faith. When, you, when you're not excited or encouraged about life anymore, it's probably because your faith is off. Like, you're taking things at face value to mean that this, is, this, is, this, this must be true, and this is it, so I have to accept it as that, as that, and that can really bring you down. But when your faith is on, and you know that you're a son of God, and you know that he's got good plans for you, then you can get encouraged again. So Father, I pray now in Jesus' name that we would all have on the full armor of God, that not one piece would be missing. And Father, help us all to filter our thoughts, just like you told me. Before we begin to meditate on any thought, before we accept it into our lives, you must ask this question, of, you must, you must, you must uh, ask this question, and you must allow this test to be ran on every thought. Is it true? Is it true? Whatever you've been thinking about, whatever you meditate on, whatever the enemy puts into your mind, before you get depressed, before you get discouraged, before you take the leap, before you do anything, you need to say, is this thought true? So a servant must know their identity. We must know, they must know who they were. They must know who they are. They must know whose they are. And they must know who they hope to be. Let's go to Luke chapter 15 from verses 11 through verses 32. Remember, we have to know our identity in Christ. As you see these words here on the platform, they spell life, L-I-F-E. So we must know the love of God. We must know our identity. We must walk by faith. And finally, this is the big one I'm aiming the whole church at. See, a lot of my discouragement with the church is that many of us aren't walking in our purpose. And there's a great purpose that God has for us, but we must first be full of love, identity, and faith. We're in Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11, and it says this. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods, they were eating Tide Pods back then? No, just playing. <laughs> even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and, and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So here he knew whose he was. Anytime you walk away from the Lord, anytime you find yourself in a distant land, anytime you find yourself in famine, and the famine may not be of natural things. The famine could be of joy. The famine could be of peace. The famine can be of love. You've got to know whose you are so that you can go back home to the Father. Verse 20. 
So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. So here we see that he knew who he was, right? He knew where he had come from. He knew that he had sinned against God. Verse 22 but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So listen, in this moment, this son began to know that who he really was was not just a wasteful son, not just a, a, a sin-filled son, but as he came back to his senses and as he came back to the father, the father showed him who he truly was. And that's, that's part of my message for you today is this, that you can always come back to the father. No matter how far you find yourself away from God, he runs towards you. As soon as you start from home, for home, he's running towards you because that fulfills his word that says that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you as well. Verse 28. The older brother was angry, I'm sorry, as they began to throw this party and he went and got the, the fatted calf. Verse 28 says that the older brother was angry. His father came out and, and begged him, but, but no reply. And he said, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all this time, you never gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So our identity church is who we hope to be. I hope you're not content with who you are, with who you are right now. No matter how saved you think you are, no matter how spirit-filled you think you are, I hope you're not content with who you are right now. I hope there's a person that you hope to become more like, and that person, church, is Christ. He is the one that we have to constantly imagine being more like. And if we are Christians, the thing that we have to ask ourselves is this. On a daily basis, do you see yourself living your life as Christ would have? From day to day, can you honestly say, I live my life in a way that Christ would have? And is it even possible? Yes, it's possible because it's his spirit that lives inside of us. So I pray, church, that I know this about you. I see you as servants of Jesus Christ. I see you as people in who the Holy Spirit lives in. I see you as people who are not controlled by your feelings and your emotions. I see you as people who say, God, I give my life to you. For I give my whole life to you to serve you. I did not just add you to my life. My, my fear is this, that some of you were preached the gospel because you were, you, they, they preached fire and brimstone to you and they scared you into salvation. And that's not the way to come into salvation. The way to come into salvation is you understand that, you know what? I am lost without you, Jesus. And you, they, you died on the cross for me and you love me and I received this gift of salvation. I, I love you and now I serve you. So 
To be a servant of Jesus Christ means that not only do you say that you love him, that you love him by your service to him. Everything is for God. And that's the point I've had to come to as your pastor. Like, I can't look at your faces anymore. I can't worry about what you do after I tell you the truth. I've just got to say, God, I'm, I love you. And because I love you, I'm feeding them and I'm telling them the truth. But then I give them to you because I can't control them after that. Right? Because if I don't do that, it weighs me down. If I don't do that, you see, that's why pastors quit. That's why churches split because... It can be such a heavy burden, the people of God. But you know what I had to remember? You're not my people. You're his people. And all he asked me to do was to tell you the truth. And that's what I'm standing here doing today is just telling you the truth. And whether you listen, whether you're paying attention right now, I don't care anymore. Because my only job is to feed you. To, to put a plate in front of you, to say, here is the truth. This will energize you. This will save your soul. I pray that you do eat it, but if you don't, I can't lose sleep over it. If you don't, it's not against me, right? So I love you, and I pray, I, I, Father, in the name of Jesus, break every religious spirit off this church in Jesus' name. Because I'm not content with you being here just listening to me. If you don't, I want to see you in heaven. Like, I want to see you there on the streets of gold. And I want you be, to be able to say, Pastor, thanks for telling me the truth. Pastor, thanks for saying the hard things. Thanks for not preaching for a man. Thanks for not giving me the candy-coated version of the gospel. Thank you for telling me that hell is real. Thank you for telling me that heaven is available. Thank you for giving me, thank you for giving me the inspiration of God through the truth of his word. Amen? Some of you might wonder why I close my eyes so much, and I'll tell you why, so I don't look at you. Period. It's the number one reason I close my eyes, right? Because if I look at you, your face is... Okay, let me stop. Let's go on to Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. So we have to know our identity. We have to know who we used to be when we were in sin. We have to know who we are now. We have to know whose we are. And we have to know who we hope to be as his servants. We're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 12, and it says this. This is Paul talking. He said, he's talking about who he was. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous. I was, I was, I was. See, church, you have to know who you were, okay? I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church and asked for righteousness. I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now, church, can you say, but now? This is the moment I'm praying for for each of you. This is the moment that you should all be striving for, the but now moment, right? To be able to say that I was these things, but now I'm something different, right? I've got a revelation of who Jesus Christ is in my life. I refuse to be who I was. There must be a line in your life to say, this was me then, but this, was me, this is me now. And you've got to have some kind of compass in your soul 
soul that says, you know what? I'm drawing back to the line. I'm going back to who I was, and I'm not going to step over into who I used to be because who I am now is better than who I was. All right? So let's listen to what Paul says now. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. See, if you can't say that, then you've got some traveling to do in your spirit still. If you can't say that, you haven't fully broken up with the world. Because if we can look at the world and say, I want some of the things here more than I want Christ, then we've got a problem still. There's parts of us that are still dead. We've got to be able to say, God, I want you more than anything in this world. There's nothing I would trade for my eternal salvation in Jesus Christ. But our problem is this. Some of us haven't come to know God to the fullest yet, so we still think the world looks better. How dumb are we to think that there's something in this world that we can reach back for that's better than God? Because he says this, what does it profit a man to gain the entire world but lose his soul? Come on. Do you know how blessed you are to be breathing right now? Because some of us aren't ready to meet him. Some of us haven't given up everything for him, and he knows those that have. So you need to begin to pray and say, Lord, am I ready to meet you? Lord, am I truly saved? Lord, am I filled with your Holy Spirit? Because if we're controlled by the carnal nature still, then we're not his. All those who love him He said that he would come inside of them and make a home, him and his father. And here in our midst, there's weeds that grow along with the wheat. And God lets us grow together. But in the end, there's going to be a separation of us. There'll be the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. So man, man, like how many times do you have to be preached to? Before you say, okay, I get it. I, I, I'll, I'll lay down my whole life. How many times do you have to be preached to in order for this, these messages to really take residence in your heart and say, okay, God, this is, this is Pastor Damien's 12th sermon on being a servant. Like most series are two or three messages. This is his 12th sermon on being a servant. Am I graduating into what it is called to be a servant of God? Amen. Amen. Father, help me. All right. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. This is what it sounds like to know who you are and who you hope to be. This is what these words are. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, 
so that, the way, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, okay, knowing where we are, or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. All right, so a servant must know who they are in Christ. The next thing a servant must have is faith. And let's talk about this kind of faith. James, 4, James 2, 14 through 26 says this. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Church, are you listening this morning? What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, some may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? So church, it's so important that our faith be flexed. It's so important that we just don't talk about faith or sing about faith, but faith has to be an action word. It has to be something that is alive, something that is moving. So when it's time for love to be expressed, then if you say that you're so faith-filled, but you do nothing for the poor, you do nothing for the helpless, then they say that that kind of faith isn't faith at all. That faith is dead because faith must be accompanied by action. Verse 21, don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. So I pray that many of you, you you've got to get fear out of the way of your faith. When it comes to good works, right? When God puts it on your heart to do something for someone, you, you can't say, well, who am I? You can't say, well, God, I just pray a blessing over them. That's not faith at all. You've got to be willing to help people when it's needed. Now, Sundays are for worship. And Sundays uh, right now in this season are for worship and are for, for learning. But Wednesdays are for work. 
Wednesdays are for service. Wednesdays are so the faith that we say that we've obtained on the Sunday can be shown on a Wednesday. Now, I know that all of you can't be here on a Wednesday, but if you can and you don't, then that's a problem. Do you hear me? I'm going to say it again. If you can be here on a Wednesday, but you choose not to, that's a problem, okay? All I ask is this, okay? On a Wednesday night, on a Wednesday, this is, Father, help me in the name of Jesus Christ. Give me peace. Give me peace, Lord. Give me peace. 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 All I'm asking, is that if you have the Holy Spirit like you say you do, be led by the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what would you have me to be on Wednesday? Because check this out, like if you call off sick to work and then your boss sees you at the mall, you got a problem. You got a problem, right? And so on Wednesdays, this church, we work. We go out into the community and we work. It's a work night, right? And at least have the respect to say, Pastor, I can't be there on Wednesday night, right? I can't be there. So all I'm saying is the respect you give to your natural job, why don't you give that to your spiritual job as well? Because this is your spiritual job, right? Because faith without works is dead. All right. Now you guys are closing your eyes when I'm preaching at you instead of me closing my eyes when I look at you. Thank you. Verse 25, Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. So just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So let me tell you about Wednesday night so the devil can't give you any more excuses. So if you can't walk, then you can pray in the sanctuary where other people are walking. And if you want to, you can even stand on the the street out there. We have signs that we hold up that encourage the motorists that drive by. Then we also have a parking lot where people pull into the parking lot for prayer. So let me tell you what happens there. Works happens there. The kingdom happens there. Our first night there, a man pulled into our prayer parking lot service and said, I was here two years ago because you didn't have it last year. So the people, they know. I was here two years ago and my son, my young son had legions on his brain and they only gave him a few months to live. But six months later, we took him back to the doctor and they could find no more legions on his head after you guys prayed for him here. Do you understand that faith without works is dead? What use is it for you to believe in the power of God but never put it to work? We are the salt and we are the light of the world. Just this past Wednesday night, a young man, uh, a young father drove by the church and he felt like he really should stop in. He saw us holding our signs. He said, man, something really told me to come back. And he dropped his son off at practice and he came back to the parking lot and said, you know, I just got to come in here. I just had to come. And he just began to cry. And he said, you know what? I I didn't mean to cry. I didn't plan to cry when I got here. But just something told me that I had to come back here. We said, well, have you given your life to the Lord? Yes, when I was six 
years old, I was baptized and I gave my life to the Lord. I said, well, do you want to be saved? Now he said, yes, I'm going to give my life to God. He said, can I get out of this car and hug you all? And he got out. Church, I'm trying to tell you that there's work to do in this kingdom. Sunday can be the easiest day of the week to give God. Didn't have to work last night, didn't have to work this morning. And I know it can be hard to sacrifice your Wednesday, but people are dying and going to hell while we're sitting and watching Netflix. People are dying and go to hell while we are doing what we want to do. Now, as passionately as I'm delivering this to you, it means nothing. It means nothing unless the Holy Spirit moves upon your heart to say, you know what? I am, not only do I have faith, but I have faith that I'm going to put my works to as well. Because if this is your church, then I'm telling you that we have work to do. I don't know how it came into existence that we think church is just this. Just coming on Sunday, hearing a message, singing songs, going, that is not church. We are the body of Christ. We are his church, and he's got work for us to do. Let's finish this up. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. We're talking about our faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And we just learned that faith is not just believing, but faith is also putting the work into motion. Faith is also doing, right? And so I hope you catch this revelation. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But faith is not just believing, faith is actually action as well, right? So God is pleased when he sees what I, that, that what I believe I also carry out and do, okay? Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever comes to God must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Again, the question that he asked me as I was so discouraged is why are you more focused on what you see than what you want to see? And, and if we really break that down, I think we'll find the source of most of our discouragement and most of our depression is why are you focused more on what you see than what you want to see, right? Because faith makes that thing happen. It brings that closer to us. Hebrews 10, 35 through 39 says this, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember, the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. The righteous live by what? And faith is not just believing, it's action too, okay? But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Kimberly, if you can. The last thing a servant must know is that they have to fulfill their purpose. 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 8 says this, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. 
So every single one of us has been given a ministry. Every single one of us has work to do. No one likes working with a lazy person because we want to get the job done so that we can go home. So the Bible says this, work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. I don't want any of you to stand before God and not have your ministry fulfilled. I don't want any of you to stand before God and he asks you, you know, what kept you from fulfilling the purpose that I have sent you to do? And I'll tell you the number one thing that prevents us from fulfilling the purpose that God sent us to do is trying to fulfill our own purpose. When you live for yourself and you don't discover the reason God made you and the reason God sent you here, then you will stand before him unfulfilled. So every single one of us needs to say, God, I give my life to you. I give my soul to you. Now give me purpose. What is the purpose that you have for my life? Verse six, as for me, this is Paul at the end of his life. This is how every life should end. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us this, church, that three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So we must use love, faith, and hope to fulfill God's purpose for us. My final verse for you today is this, John 21, 15 through 17. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. So what we see here is this, Jesus asking if he loved him, Peter responding, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And then Jesus replying, then feed my lambs, then do something. As if Peter telling him that he loved him wasn't enough. I think we got a lesson to learn here, church, that you just telling God you love him isn't enough because Jesus didn't stop there. He says, then feed my lambs. Verse 16. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Church, I want you to know that today. Please hear me and forgive me for any flesh or anger that came out. I'm a work in progress and sometimes I see, I'm more focused on what I see than what I want to see. But I am serious about Wednesdays. 
I'm not taking that back. You can be mad at me. Jesus said this, if you love me, then. Church, can you say if, then. Come on, we got to get this. Say if, then. So Jesus said, if you love me, then. Jesus was not content with just Peter saying that he loved him. Jesus said, if you really love me, I've got work for you to do. There's something that I care deeply about that I want you to care about too. Then what is it? It's my sheep. It's my lambs. It's my people. So that's why I told you from the very beginning. That's why love is the top word in life. And maybe it's a love problem. Maybe that's the breakdown. Maybe that's why we don't want to serve or sacrifice time to serve. Maybe it's a a love issue. So, Father, I pray for the love of this church to rise in the name of Jesus Christ. We have your love. I don't think any of us doubt that. Some of us may struggle with loving you back through being obedient to you, God, but your Holy Spirit helps us there. I know even more of us struggle with self-love. That's why we take counterfeit love from this world. We struggle with self-love, so we fill our minds and our lives with these artificial things that feel good, that they kind of feel like love, but they're not love, and they let us down every time. So God, will you help us with our self-love to show us that we're supposed to love this new identity that we have in Jesus Christ? And then finally, Lord, The way that we love ourselves is the way that we're supposed to love others. If if I'm warm, I want someone else to be warm. If I'm eating, I want someone else to be eating. If I'm free, I want someone else to be free. If I've been found, I want someone else to be found. So God, search this church. Search the pastor. Search the elders. Search the pastors. And if you find anything that's not like you in us, take it away, God. Because our desire is to have faith with works. Lord, we love you and we honor you and we bless you and we praise you and we thank you for this. May your words forever ring in our hearts as true. Separate us from every lie that we believe about ourselves, God. Every lie that we believe about you and other people. And Father, please give us your truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Pastor Jim, if you could come up and close us out. Father, Father, we just thank you for today. And I pray that our spirits would be stirred this morning. I thank you that we have the privilege to come and be in this house. That's not all that we know is good. May we get revelation this morning through the faith purpose. God, that you've given us all a ministry of reconciliation. You've given us all a ministry, Father. God, will you help us to walk fully in you?
service but also that this those around us. So God, if something needs to happen in my heart, or something needs to happen in any of the people's heart, God, would you do it this morning? Shift our hearts to say that I will be a servant servant amongst your people. And I will walk, God, in the fullness of the ministry you have given to me, and I will no longer just be a consumer of your God, your word, Lord, but I'll be a doer also. So, Father, I thank you for the revelation growing across this place right now. Lord, I thank you for being with each person as they go and have Father's Day celebration. God, be with all of our fathers. Lord, bless them today for all that they've done, for all that they do. But ultimately, thank you, Father, for showing us favor. Lord, so we say thank you for the great message today and the word. Lord, may it be ever present amongst us as we walk throughout this week and bring it to our remembrance, Lord. Let's be blessed over these people right now. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Go enjoy.